This week's Physio Foundations podcast is part two of my chat with Narelle Dalwood, and Narelle's a neurological physiotherapist from Monash University Physiotherapy, and we're going to talk about using peer simulation to help improve students' confidence and work readiness. So what is simulation in healthcare training? So simulation is quite a, it's a general term, quite a broad church. Um, and simulation is a learning tool or an approach that offers guided interactive experiences to reflect actual clinical experiences. Um, and it's, it's used a lot, uh, used increasingly in, in healthcare education um, and probably more so than ever, even in the, in the last couple of years. There's a, a really wide variety of simulation from really uh, technologically advanced virtual reality type simulation um, to perhaps some, some lower fidelity type simulation that might be more commonly, well, not more commonly used, but can also be used. Okay. What's the history of simulation in physio education? So it's fairly new in recently new, or perhaps you tell me rather than me guessing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it depends on your definition of new, I guess. Mm. Um, simulation has been used for a number of years in physiotherapy education. Um, and there were some seminal papers published a number of years ago now by um, Watson and Blackstock that looked at um using a week of simulation or having a week students having a week of simulation and could that week of simulation actually um, reflect sort of clinical hours could it actually replace a week of of clinical hours it was a series of fantastic randomized controlled trials um, and the evidence was unequivocal that one week of clinical placement training could actually be replaced by a really high quality week of simulation training. Um, so when those papers were published and they're now, of course, very widely cited, they were, you know, academically very rigorous papers. Um, there really was from that point an explosion of the use of simulation um, in physiotherapy. Um, and that is definitely reflected both in, you know, medical schools and, and nursing schools and things as well. Um, and, it, you know, lots of Lots of different universities and different departments are using different, you know, simulation means different things to different people, whether they're, as I said, they're using virtual reality headsets, um, mannequins, use of mannequins is very um, common, especially in nursing and also in medical care. Um, and the use of simulated patients is also, um, you know, a very common uh, method of using simulation. So what type of simulation are you running? Because uh, as I mentioned, you're the lead of the simulation program at Monash Physio and tell yeah. us about what it's like. If you've clicked on this episode and you're wondering, what are they talking about? What's simulation? Let's describe it and what the students do. Yeah. So the sim, as I said, there's lots of different approaches to simulation. Um, and the one that we use here, uh, we've sort of coined the term, I must say, we call it peer simulation. And what that means, so I just mentioned the term simulated patient. So a simulated patient is a person, usually an actor, sometimes a willing volunteer, um, who is trained to portray a patient role for a healthcare interaction. Um, we have used simulated patients here and we continue to use, you know, actors occasionally as simulated patients here in the physiotherapy department. 
But like many places, um, there is a lot of it, you know, there are some, some published evidence around the constraints of using simulated patients. Um, and one of the main constraints really, you know, is financial, but also just even the, the, the setup and, and having enough simulated patients so that students all get a turn to actually practice an interaction with a patient. So what we do here in the physiotherapy department at Monash University is we train the students to be patients for each other. Um, so we actually train students in the same cohort to actually portray accurate, as accurately as possible, portray the patient role. Um, and I've got a little bit of history, a bit of background, if your listeners are interested, as to sort of how we came up with that idea. Yeah, go um, for it. So... Uh, like a few things in in my career, I sort of fell into <laughs> fell into it a little bit. So our program here started about eight years ago. I must admit, back then I didn't really realise that simulation was a thing. I sort of knew a bit about it. I knew that some universities were doing it, but I didn't really know very much about it. Um, and certainly, you know, where the genesis for me was as a clinical educator and a, and a clinician and also an educator at the university, I was very aware of, you know, we need a better way to actually try and bridge the gap between campus-based learning um, and clinical practice for students. You know, that leap from being on campus and, and working with each other in PRAC to actually being out into the wild, as I like to call it, out into the real world and working with real patients in real facilities with real clinical supervisors, it's, it can be an enormous leap. Um, so I was really looking at a way to bridge that gap more effectively. Uh, we have a preclinical semester here in third year. Um, myself and my colleagues came up with this idea about eight years ago of let's set up some sort of pretend scenario where one student pretends to be the patient and one student pretends to be the physio, we'll use some sort of notes that are based on real patient's notes, we'll get a bit of a Word document for a patient script and let's see what we come up with. So that's what we did. Um, in the first, we actually did it over at SimLab in the nursing uh, school here at Monash um, and in that very first session, I'll never forget, we had students who were portraying the physio role who were, were being physios, shaking, crying, so stressed, so incredibly stressed. Um, These are the students that, who were acting as the patients? Who, no. Portraying as so it was the students who were having to do the interaction, who were stepping into the physio oh, sure, role. Sure, Who were just, no, the patients were fine. No, right. In, in a way know, that they, they would never, yeah, in a way that they, they would fine. never be concerned about if they were just role-playing um, yeah, in their plain was, clothes. Um, at that point, yeah. I thought we are on to something here. If this is how stressed and nervous and anxious and, and unprepared a student feels to step into that physio role, then we've really got some work to do. Um, so that was the genesis. So it came from just that one session. Um, we have built it, uh, you know, again, I referenced my colleagues very much. It's certainly not just me, um, but we have built the program in that preclinical semester. Um, we now, we run it every week over nine weeks. We, the students do two cases each week. They swap roles between cases. So each week they have the opportunity to portray the patient role for their partner, and then they'll portray the physio role while they're, you know, they, they've swapped. Um, 
We now have, you know, Moodle books or e-books to assist the patient portrayal. We use full masks sometimes. We use costumes. We have rehearsal and practice time for portraying the patient role. So we've really built it. It's taken on a life of its own and it's um, I think it's an amazing program. Um, the consistent feedback from students is extremely positive um, and it really, really has helped, um, I think, really bridge that gap and, and really help the transition for the students um, to moving into clinical practice. That's a great summary. So you've got this, the overall goal is to provide a, a better experience for the student, but also a better prepared student when they go into less anxious, but also less more aware of the um, of the clinical environment as well with this guided experience that, that reflect clinical practice. So what's it um, from a student's perspective? Um, so you've evaluated student experiences. What do they learn that they wouldn't learn during a plain clothed um, role playing yeah. Um, yeah. practice session? in a practice room and a prac room at the university. Yeah. So it becomes a really rich learning experience from lots of different levels. So when the, when the student is portraying the physio role and acting the part of the physiotherapist, um, you know, the, the consistent feedback we get is that it's just fantastic to put it all together. So, you know, um, I just need to, you know, prompt your listeners to think about what we're doing. And people, when we're in simulation, we are reflecting clinical reality as much as possible. So everyone stays completely in character the whole time. There are more senior students, tutors, and sometimes some real clinical supervisors circulating the room in the role of clinical supervisors as they would out on, out on placement. The room is set up to reflect, um, you know, the, the real environment as much as possible. So the learning is from when you're portraying the role of the physio, you're, you're sort of getting to put it all together. You're um, interacting not just with the patient in front of you, but also with the clinical supervisor. So a clinical supervisor might come over and ask you a question about, you know, what did you find in your interview or what's your plan or correct your handling or exactly as a clinical supervisor would on placement. Um, they need to manage their time appropriately. They need to, even before that, they need to actually read through the medical notes. They need to, it, it really is that integration of everything that the students have been learning in the previous years of the course. Importantly and somewhat uniquely to our program um, is the learning that comes about from portraying the patient role. And this is something that comes out really, really consistently in our own sort of uh, general feedback from students um, and has also been supported by um, a, a really nice study that a colleague of ours, um, Dr. Shane Pritchard did evaluating, he did a qualitative study evaluating students' perspectives of participating in peer simulation. Um, overwhelmingly, that sense of figuratively being able to step into the patient's shoes, if only just for a short time and in a sort of, you know, obviously modified way, um, there is so much learning in there for um, beginning physiotherapists and it really uh we finished up our peer simulation program actually just this last this time last week with our third years um and one of the students you know said it so nicely i said what's your main learning from peer simulation and he said it's just to see the patient as a real patient 
and to treat them as a whole person and to really get to know them, who they are, who, you know, what they want from life, you know, and how best to actually assist them um, to live their most meaningful life possible. And I said to him, do you think you learned that from either portraying the patient role or the physio role? And he said both, um, but probably more so from portraying the patient role. By stepping into the patient's shoes. And we talked on the last yeah. episode about empathy and the importance of mm. that balance between empathy and detachment when it's needed. And then this is a, an example of training students in understanding the perspectives of the patient as well, what it would be like to receive good and and poor and indifferent medical care and clinical care. And you've created this safe environment where students can make mistakes as well. So they can get feedback and there's very low risk, no risk of patient harm. There's no patients there, but very low risk for everyone. Um, And then, so what feedback have you had from clinical educators of students who have gone through the simulation program and then have gone on on clinical placements? Look, we the, the feedback from our clinical educators is always very, very positive. I do need to be careful of not sort of hanging my head on, oh, well, it was obviously the peer simulation right. that made our students. I would like, you know, from, from the feedback that we get from students, they personally feel far more prepared. Hmm. Um, we don't have any evidence. We haven't done um, any research yet. Um, we were going to, but then COVID hit, um, on clinicians' perspectives of students who go through the program. Um, So I would love to say that clinicians, and I I can say because we do have the evidence of that clinicians think our students are well prepared for clinical placement. However, I... As much as I'd love to say it's it's peer simulation, and I, but I do think that's a big part of it. We don't have the research to actually support mm. that at the well, moment. Yeah. Certainly, the clinical supervisors that come to the uni and assist with the program and actually portray the clinical supervisor role in here at the university, um, they are always extremely positive about what we're doing and and the program. And everyone who sees the program and sees the students in action are amazed. At a, how good the students are at, at portraying the patient role. And I think just from what I read in the literature, I think people underestimate the capacity of students. You know, they're, they're not actors. We know that, you know. But in any simulation, there needs to be a, a suspension of disbelief. We know these students aren't real patients. Um, and we certainly know that they've enrolled in physio, not acting school. So I'm not expecting Academy Award winning performances. We sometimes do get Academy Award winning performances. Um, but what's most important, and I've segued off your, your question a little bit, sorry, Luke, but what's most important is that the students actually buy in that they do have that suspension of disbelief and that they um, that they buy in and, and that they do their absolute best to portray the patient role for their colleague. Um, without that, the whole thing falls down, really. doesn't work. So um, say they're giving answers. are amazing at it. Mm, that's, that's a really nice summary of it. Where, say your student's acting as a, a patient and they're giving responses to questions. They can give it in a very accurate way that's fairly robotic or they can you know, introduce pauses and um, uncertainty, perhaps fear or, oh, uns- yeah. or trepidation yeah. for answering a question. Do, do you get um, spontaneous episodes? You know, do you get some good acting happening from students in that regard? And of course, some poor acting as well. Yeah. 
And look, again, we understand that students aren't actors. I'm, I'm a terrible actor myself. I'm not very good at mm. it. Um, but, and this is also a question that comes up in the literature, is how real does it need to be? Right. You know, and I think that the amount of reality that you need in a simulation changes depending on what the learning activity is and, and what the learning outcomes are. Mm. So, for example, if I was going into surgery and my surgeon had learned his or her skills via, you know, some of their skills via simulation, I'd want it to be a really realistic, I'm talking, you know, virtual reality headsets, everything absolutely to the highest fidelity possible if they're going to be operating on me. However, for something like physiotherapy, when we talk about how real does it need to be, for me, a mannequin's not very real. You know, a mannequin like a Rasasiani type mannequin mm. sort of, I mean, they're much more um, technologically advanced these days, but that sort of mannequin, and they're used a lot in nursing schools, very appropriately for taking vital signs and things like that, but they just don't provide the haptic feedback and the movement and things and the communication that's so extraordinarily important in physiotherapy education. So going back to you know, how real does it need to be? I don't care if people aren't actually that good an actor, as long as I give it a bit of a crack, you know, and, and as you said, um, you know, you do have some natural, in fact, I had a, a, a student last week who the patient was from a non-English speaking background um, and it was a really important part of the case because I really wanted the physio, the students portraying the physio role to really practice those skills, how they're going to communicate with someone whose English is a second language. And this student was just, she said, oh, I'm channeling my nonna. And it was fantastic because she had really personal insight into the difficulties in seeking healthcare for her family mm. members who had English as a second language. Um, so yeah, we have varying levels of acting ability, but it, people, the students get better at it over time. As I said, our, our program grows for nine weeks. Um, and we do have, you know, sort of half an hour to 45 minutes before each case where the students are um, able to practice and rehearse and get feedback on their performance. We take it really seriously. I bet you there's some hidden acting skills that yeah. um, no one knew existed that come out there yeah. as well. So the students are learning a lot from the interaction with a more realistic um, guided experience and those who are acting as patients are learning a lot as well. There's clinical educators on the scene, there's staff who are um, in the preclinical units teaching and they're learning from the experience as well. And it seems like it's a bit, a bit of teamwork happening and simulating the team yeah. environment as as well, which yeah. doesn't necessarily happen just on your own when you're just mm -hmm. role playing with a, another student. What about the physical acting? So we talked about communication a lot there. Yeah. Um, there must be some fun um, training that happens in the 45 minute preparation when you're training, uh, thinking of a Musk example, training someone to do a really nice Trendelenburg gait, um, perhaps walking with a foot drop. What, what, are, what are some fun physical acting classes you've done in the prep for simulation? Well, it's actually a really good point because I think it's our first case, actually our very first case in our first week in third year is someone with a Trendelenburg. Right. Um, and, oh, my God, and I say to students, right, up you get, you know, start practising your Trendelenburg. And they're all like, oh, oh, we don't. And it actually takes every year it would take 10 or 15 minutes to get the entire room actually being able to do a Trendelenburg effective. And it's great because then there's this whole conversation about which muscles weak again and, and if you lean over, how is that actually? And 
so there's learning in that as well, um, in that portrayal of those physical symptoms. Um, and yeah, for those listeners who heard my previous podcast, yes, I'm a neurophysio, but just to uh, point out that this peer simulation program that we run is certainly not just neuro cases. We do must cardio and neuro. So yeah, it's um, portraying a hemiplegia, for example, or someone with BPPV. Um, there's, there's lots of learning in that aspect as well, in that mimicking and, and trying to, um, you know, accurately portray those physical symptoms is a really important part of the, the learning process. And of course, that's something that you should be doing as your ongoing learning as part of your reading. You could be reading an article. You can, you got to integrate uh, practice of new yeah. skills and knowledge. And, and by just trying to walk in that way, you can develop empathy for the person. And you can, Absolutely. the other one would be exercise prescription. It's fairly mm -hmm. impossible to prescribe exercises if you haven't done them yourself and getting anybody, students, new grads, clinicians of any level to, to get into the gym or get into a, into the position that their patients are in and do those exercises is really important yeah. for that same Absolutely. reason. What's next for simulation? So you mentioned VR, so virtual reality technology. I mean, you've got a crystal ball in front of you. I can see it there. What's <laughs> what's next, do you think, for – I mean, it's, it sounds like at the moment it's going really well. So you don't necessarily have to change what you're doing, but what could be some exciting new areas in the simulation area coming mm. up? So in terms of what's next for simulation, as an overall global picture, it depends where you are and it depends what you're studying. If you're studying in America, for example, there's a lot of virtual reality. Um, they have a very different sort of healthcare system over there. Their funding's different. Um, so they're using lots and lots of virtual reality and there is a plethora of companies who are developing amazing, not inexpensive resources that can be used for simulation. Mm. Where, you know, we're not in a position to be able to afford those sorts of, um, that sort of technology. But at the end of the day, at this point, I don't think we need it. I think actually what we're doing here um, is, you know, it gets back to how real does it need to be. Mm. And until they can develop a technology where a mannequin can absolutely replicate human movement and um, provide haptic feedback, you know, when you touch the patient or when you move their knee or when you lift their arm or you test the sensation that you're getting realistic feedback on that and that you can communicate with the patient while you're doing that, then for me, that level of technology is, you know, or the technology that's available at the moment, I'm not sure is, is going to really value add. Um, and I think, you know, the constraints under which we work, many of which are sort of financial and geographical, you know, we don't have a sim lab here in the physiotherapy department. And I think it's made us um, perhaps a little bit more creative and a bit more inventive. And, um, and as I said, you know, even just the, the fact that we have students who are portraying the patient role with each other was initially a pragmatic decision um, because we had no one else to be the patient um, and we couldn't afford to have simulated patients in for nine weeks every week for 100 students. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's gone far beyond a pragmatic decision and in actual fact has just proven to be so incredibly beneficial. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Dr. Pritchard's work before and, you know, the, the three key themes that came out of his paper which was looking at the, the experiences of, of students participating in peer simulation, 
is that students think it's a really valuable learning experience that providing the patient role provides really unique uh, learning opportunities for them and that it's unexpectedly realistic. Mm. Um, I've also done some research, so if people are interested, I've also done a systematic review on peer simulation um, and the two key sort of um, findings from that was that participating in peer simulation really positively impacts on communication and patient empathy, development of patient empathy, which seems yeah. to be a bit of a theme in our talks, Luke, mm. you and I. Mm. It's so important. So, and. Yeah. And, and the feeling of preparation, if you did one thing, if it didn't do any of that and it made students go onto their clinical placements with a better feeling of preparation, that would be very significant because I remember being prepared but not feeling prepared, not feeling comfortable and feeling very uncertain about what was happening. And a lot of that wasn't related to knowledge and, and skills and you passed exams and done well and that's fine. You, you understand the theory of things. It's related to unfamiliar environments and yeah. um, you mentioned looking at medical records um, and um, you mentioned many things, just seeing people in gowns and people yeah. um, communicating with the, the medical team. So, so giving students that experience before they go on placements, if they went on there feeling more prepared, they would be, for me personally, that would be a significant benefit. Um, and look, experience counts for a lot. You go on and you get, experience and then that helps you feel more comfortable but um, what you're doing there is you're certainly contributing to bridging that gap like you said in between classroom and clinical placement so yeah. that's that's a really nice summary for everyone of what you're doing and most importantly if i can just add a little bit there luke sorry most mm. importantly you know it's great for the student to feel more prepared and it's wonderful for their learning outcomes it's really important for clinical supervisors you know clinical mm. supervisors they've got a tough job mm. um you know their primary responsibilities for the patient and then they've got these new students who are unfamiliar you know do, unfamiliar with the environment and things so the more prepared we can make our students the easier it is on our clinical supervisors but most importantly it's really, really important for the patient. Mm. You know, the more prepared our students can be, the better the outcome for the patients. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Well, hats off to you and all the staff involved and all the students and the clinical educators for yeah. the work you're doing in that area. It's It's been really interesting for us to get a bit of insight into what, it's, what actually goes on in there and the benefits of it. And I think we've probably finished up there because we've had a big chat today. We've recorded last we week's episode and today's <laughs> episode. So I'm really grateful for your time again, Narelle. Um, where can people find you online? Are you hiding away online? I've, I've made a little I promo, um, <laughs> promo yeah. card for you and put it on social media and, and I couldn't tag you on anything. So we can't find you on, <laughs> on social media, but you're at Monash Uni Physio yes. yeah. and that'll do. <laughs> That'll do. I don't exist anywhere else. Good. Um, right. No, I'm I'm a bit of a social media dinosaur. Um, so, but yes, you can certainly find me um, on the Monash Uni and the Physiotherapy Department website. You'll find me there. You'll now find me on YouTube apparently after uh, filming these videos. Um, so yes, and of course my email address is um, is also listed on the Monash Uni website if anyone would like to get in touch. And if you have a direct question about these episodes, you can ask me. You can email. You can tag on. Twitter or other social media, you can find Susanna and I running Periton Physio. So we're at Periton Physio on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those. Um, and 
you can if you can share the episode with someone you, that you think will find it interesting, we'd be really grateful for that as well. And you can also visit our website, periton.physio, and you can get links to all the different podcast players there. If you're not an Apple person, I always know, I don't know whether to share the link as an Apple link or um, an Android link or whatever. So we just refer people to the website. You can click on the links there and get all the previous episodes of this podcast. Um, that'll do. I've really enjoyed the two chats we've had today. And so we've did physio, um, physiotherapy and neurological um, f- through the lens of a neurological physio and then um, look, talking about physio education and simulation. So thanks very much, Narelle, for your time and, and your insights. Pleasure. Great to speak to everyone. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity, Luke. And so until next time, this is Narelle and Luke again, wishing you all the very best with your studying, your professional development and your lifelong learning. Thank you.